you know, I just learned somewhere along the way when it comes to sales, you know, you're going to be rejected in life no matter what. You could be the fucking Mother Teresa and somebody's going to reject you. You can be Buddha and somebody's going to reject you. You can be Jesus Christ and somebody's going to freaking reject you, right? It doesn't fucking matter. You're going to get rejected by somebody. And when it comes to sales, I was like, fuck it. If I'm going to get rejected in public anyways, I'm going to at least choose the way I get rejected. And I just happen to choose to do it through sales. So, you know, motherfuckers are going to tell me no. People are going to say you're an idiot. You you know, people are going to hate on you, whatever else. Cool. I know it's coming. I can expect that rejection versus getting blindsided by people that don't like the fact that I'm a country dude. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the next episode of the Slow Smoke Business Podcast. I'm Jared Morgan, your host, and today I'm uh, excited to bring on my new friend, Donnie, Donnie Bovine, who is, uh, I asked him, what would you like me to describe you as a blue collar guy that decided to be an entrepreneur? And it was like that Spider-Man meme where it's like, are we the same? (laughs) Did we just become best friends? How you doing, Donnie? I'm good, brother. I'm good. Uh, With the small banter we've already done and the fact that I'm a little jealous that I'm not there while you're cooking. Yeah. Other than that, I think this is going to be a fun conversation. Be more fun to heckle you while you were cooking, though. Well, so you're going to have that opportunity. So Donnie's from Texas uh, and all hail Texas barbecue, right? For sure. Um, And so I'm trying to be on my best behavior. Uh, so I picked something that Alabamians should be able to do with their eyes closed, which is pork, or excuse me, poultry, not pork. That is the strangest looking freaking pork I've ever That's, seen. In yeah. my life. No, it's 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 uh, you can see on the overhead cam there. So it's it's poultry. I went with I went for poultry and it came out pork. I guess that's what I really wanted. I should be able to nail this, right? So Donnie should have little to heckle me on. If I'd have gone brisket, that would have been suicide. Yeah, you'd have been over. It'd have been been trouble. And we've been filming this for freaking 12 hours. Donnie and I are also drinking on uh, a little something there. So, Don, ooh, he's got a military glass Mm -hmm. there. What do you got there? So, I went with the plantation overproof. So, it's 69% by volume. So, plant, I haven't heard of that one. Oh, dude. So, so I don't like most. I mean, the overproof is a style of rum, it's anything over 100 proof. Um, So, 54% by volume. And I don't like a typical Jamaican overproof, the white ones, but this dark one is really good. Wow. So. All right. So I totally did not expect you to bring rum. Oh yeah. Into the glass. Dude, so that's what you about- said overproof. And I was like, what? Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a bourbon style too, for over a hundred percent. I forget there's, it's called something too, but I forget what it's called, but, uh, between overproof or there's a uh, Navy proof as well. Navy, and Navy proof. proof is over 57% by volume. Whoa. Yeah, it's Wait, is freaking. that is that like a navy as a reference to the branch of the military? Yeah, the, so the, actually, the British Navy is the one that started the navy proof stuff, um, oh. and then they kept the tradition up. And then there was once upon a time, even the U.S. Navy was handed rum rations. Wow! And so navy proof, and they called it navy proof because they would literally pour the rum on gunpowder to see if it would light <laughs> to make sure the proof was the right proof, and that's where the term proof comes from. Shout out to the British Navy. Great. Right? The good the good rum. All right, let's get this chicken on the grill. Like I said, so this was actually a Christmas present. I don't know if you get if you're watching along on Facebook or YouTube uh, or wherever you watch video podcasts. Uh, I'm using a for the first time ever, a drumstick hanger. So it's like a little rack at the top. And instead of laying the chicken on the grill, it's like in this rack that's gonna just like suspend them in the air. I haven't used one not. of those. That's actually pretty damn cool. 
I, uh, well, I haven't either. So let's see if I can't not drop these things as I put them on there. What's great about it is, I mean, I didn't have to clean my grill. What'd you season all that with? So, um, hashtag not a sponsor, but I, I will, I will name drop the business. Um, meat church, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody loves meat meat church. Church. Yep. Uh, their pecan rub known as D's nuts. Um, or I think recently rebranded out of, maybe they had too many grandmas complain, but it's a, (laughs) it's like a pecan honey rub. And you just can't beat it, man. It goes good on everything. I've put it on chicken, on pork, on beef. I've put it on celery when I'm trying to behave. Like it's it's good Wait, stuff. Who eats celery? <laughs> when I'm eating, well, when I'm eating wings, the celery's next to the wings, right? So right. Like, Look, right. mom, a salad. <laughs> so, um, Donnie, you've got a pretty unique and interesting background. Tell us a little bit about yourself and, and how you got to where you are. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I did, of course, four years in the Marine Corps, 20 years straight commission sales, turned 40 and realized I'd spent my career making everybody else freaking wealthy. So I decided it was my turn. Um, the day I opened my business, I was served my non-compete papers. Whoa. And so I could not talk about sales, sales training, business development, or sales management anywhere in the damn world. So I started my company as a success coach. And Jared, to okay. this day, I have no damn clue what the hell a success coach is. Okay. Um, and uh, six months into running my business, uh, I almost lost everything we owned. Um, had no clue how to run a business. Ran a company straight into the ground. I cashed in my 401k. My wife cashed in her 401k trying to save it. And truth be told, for 20 years, somebody else had told me what to do, even though I was straight commission. Uh, and now that I was out on my own, I had no damn clue how to be a business owner. But luckily, it's isn't that so weird? You've you've been so close to pulling the the levers and things, but actually having to pull them, it changes everything, right? It, you, uh, you have there's a whole different set of your brain you have to learn. And I tell everybody, I mean, uh, I think everybody at some point should start a business because there's no greater tool on the planet than meeting yourself than trying to build a business. Yeah. And failure is a part of the process too. You said you struggled and, and you almost flamed out right there at the beginning. Um, that's a, I, I don't know a single business that's successful that doesn't have a chapter like that in its yeah, story. For sure. For sure. So, um, but I found podcasting, uh, in 2018 launched a show. It actually took off, found some success. Um, I did a lot of speaking across the U S on podcasting because of how much it took off. Wow. Um, and you know, podcasting truly saved my business, uh, because it taught me, you know, I had the pleasure of interviewing some of the biggest names in the damn world. So you can't put a shit show of a, of a podcast together and do that. So it taught me operations and outsourcing and finance and all this kind of stuff. Well, flash forward to where we are now, five and a half years later, and now I'm the CEO of three companies have one of the top podcasts in the world, five best selling books and a partridge in a pear tree. Gosh. Okay. So incredible story and a lot of times you see you know people when people get out of a of a long career in the military it's an interesting it's interesting and sometimes heartbreaking to watch them try to assimilate back into a different life right and so talk to me about that transition what were there things from a military career that helped you or were there things that hurt your kind of mindset and building a business or was it a little mixture of both? Well, I mean, I only did four years in the Marine Corps, but I, to answer your question, mom and dad raised a good kid. And <laughs> I would say I had a lot of good things instilled in me before I went to the military. The military taught me how to drink more, fight more, 
Uh, it taught me, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, get it done at all costs. You know, when you're in yeah. the military, there's no questioning an order. You know, it's literally, hey, take that hill or, hey, you know, do this. And there's no, but we don't have X, Y, Z to get it done. No, no, no. You figure it the fuck out and you just get it done. So yeah. that's probably the greatest thing I got out of the, out of the Marine Corps was the ability to, to figure it out. Um, I think that's the greatest thing the Marine Corps did for me. The toughest thing the Marine Corps did for me is when you come out of the military, it's like a kid coming out of college. You got no skills, you got no talent, you got nothing, and you're starting at zero. And that's what screws up a lot of the guys transition out is they don't want to start in zero. They spent, in my case, it was four years, but in some of their cases, you know, 20, 25 years. Yeah. And they don't want to go back to zero. And, you know, I try and tell them all the time when I get the bitch and moaning that I'm like, look, dude, it's really simple. If you were a badass in the military, go get a job to learn a skill set that you don't have. Start at the bottom. And if you were a badass, you're going to climb the ranks faster than anybody else. And you're going to freaking go quit trying to do a lateral move when you don't have the skill sets. Uh, I remember I got in this heated conversation with Lieutenant Colonel one time. And he's like, man, I should go be, I should be a CEO of a company. He goes, I've got the skill set. I've led thousands of men. I should do it. I said, cool. So let's do this. I said, if I picked a fortune 100 company, you could be the CEO of that company. He goes, absolutely not a problem. I'd be able to, I'm like, cool. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to take the CEO of that company. I'm going to give him your platoon and they're going to go off and fight a war while you run his company. He goes, oh no, that won't work. I said, why wouldn't it work? Why couldn't I take the CEO and have him running battalion? He goes, because he doesn't have the skills. He doesn't know the warfare. He doesn't know how to lead troops. And I said, it's the same fucking thing for you trying to be a CEO. That's right. You don't have the business finance. You don't have the, the operation. You don't have all those things. You've got to go learn those skill sets. So, um, but you get pretty cocky coming out of the military. Well, and I mean, success breeds cockiness, right? I mean, mm. success breeds hubris, you know, where you think, it, I mean, history's littered with uh, entrepreneurs that were really great at something and then pivoted and said, oh, I'll be great at everything. And, you know, we'll see how Elon does. Right. Elon's one of those freak show guys that's had he's like Motown there. He's had his early was it zip two or something. Then he did PayPal and then he's, you know, and then he's he's done Tesla and now he's got 15 different things. And we'll see how he does with Twitter. But most people, there's a there's a swing and a miss in there somewhere because there's this mindset that, well, I was good at this. I'm going to be good at everything. And I'm going through that right now in my own career. So I spent 15 years building an education technology company, became the biggest of its kind in the world, super successful. Now I've started a couple of other businesses since I've left and retired from that business. And they're both in completely, I mean, could not be further different industries, right? I've got a, a hot rod shop now that, that we do classic cars and I've got a paint business that sells really high end paints and garage floor coatings and things. And like, man, I'm back at zero, right? I'm <laughs> learning like, Oh gosh, like I gotta, I know the, I know this, the moves and the skill sets of sales and good pipeline hygiene and all that kind of stuff. But like, I got to learn new products and I got to learn kind of a new industry and the, what the competition is doing and everything. And it's, you have to have the ability to humble yourself when you get into something new. The smartest people I know are people that are willing to admit they don't know something or, or the, the smart. Another, another way to put it is the smartest people I know are the most curious and the ones that are comfortable sitting in something that they don't understand because, you know, 
real, I would I always say arrogance comes from thinking you're smarter than everybody, but confidence comes from knowing you'll outwork everybody. Oh, and right? I'll even add to that. Cockiness is a good surefire way to be humbled very hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's because, you know, cockiness comes from thinking you, you have something that just is better than other people. It's like a birthright or something you're born with. And real confidence, like you, you look at athletes like Jerry Rice, right? One of the greatest wide receivers in the NFL history. If you dig into Jerry Rice or Kobe Bryant as an NBA player, I mean, those guys definitely had natural born talent. But if you really dig into their story, it was how hard they worked. Oh, like dude. Kobe, Kobe Bryant, the stories of him warming up and, and Jerry Rice, the things that they would do to get themselves ready for a season was like 10x what other people did. And that was the thing that made them great. Not some natural born DNA sequence. Oh, for sure. I mean, Jerry Rice, people tried to do his workout routine and could not keep up. And yeah. you're talking about, you know, other pro athletes just couldn't keep up. My favorite story, though, about about Kobe is there was a, a a guy that and it was a video clip and he's like man I was playing Kobe for the first time and I just knew I was going to beat him that's all I want to do so I got it in my head for a seven o'clock game that I was going to get there at nine o'clock in the morning start working out making sure I was ready to go I got there at nine o'clock and Kobe was already there on the court freaking <laughs> bouncing the freaking ball doing the shots and he's like dude i worked out hard for like six hours and just busted my ass and there's kobe working harder than i was which pushed me harder and freaking so about six hours in i went to you know go back to the locker room to relax and kobe was there when i came back to get ready to get into my uniform and stuff for the game he was still practicing after that night uh, as we were walking onto the court, he said, I told Kobe, I'm going to take him tonight. Kobe put up like, I don't know, it was like 60 or 70 points that night just to prove a point. <laughs> and after the game, the guy asked Kobe, he's like, dude, why the hell were you working out so hard? And, the, and Kobe didn't give a beat, looked at him and goes, cause you showed up. No. I was going to show you, you couldn't break me. And I was like, Oh dude, you know, yeah. but you know, and I'm not the hustling grind guy, right? I'm not the, you know, run your dick in the dirt until you're exhausted, but I grew up on a farm. I have a full working farm right now. And here's the thing. We raised dwarf Nigerian goats on our farm. Those goats, they can't let themselves out anymore, right? They can't get their own grain, right? I have to let them out in the pasture. They can't put themselves up every night. I've got to get them into the barn so they're protected from the animals and whatnot. And here's the thing. I don't get a day off of taking care of the farm. Every morning, yeah. I go out, let the goats out. Every evening, I got to put the goats up. So I tell everybody, it's not the hustle and grind. It's do the work until the work's done. Yep. And my day is not done until I put the goats away. And it's the same thing when you think about your business or anything you're doing is don't finish that day out until the work that you need to get done for that day is done. And if you can work to that mentality, man, good shit will happen in your business. Yeah. You know, it's it kind of leads to something I've been wanting to talk about for a long time. And every time I think about this, I'm not in the middle of a podcast episode. But I, there's so many people. And I love Gary V. Gary Vaynerchuk. Guy's a legend. There's so much good stuff to learn from him and, and God bless him. He's done so much for the entrepreneurship community. But I think people read Gary V by taking little bites of like, I'm crushing it, bro. And I'm working really hard and I'm going to, you know, whatever he's doing. And I think they miss that hard work is a part of the process. But if you truly want to be successful, you all, you have to work smart and figure out how to work smart and then work hard at that smart thing that you're doing you know 
if if it only took hard work, you know, waitresses and busboys and and ditch diggers and those would be the richest people in the world, garbage men and teachers, they'd be the richest people in the world. It's a hard job, right? Yep. But that's hard work is not enough. It's it takes you having to sit back and understand the way a market works, the way your customers want you to be or what it is, whatever it is that's your area that you're trying to play in, you have to figure out how can I be more effective and more efficient and then work hard at that. I, I just I've seen so many people drown and wow, I'm working really, really hard. And it's like, man, you know, it's like the whole we're working in your business and not on your business kind of thing. For sure. Well, and here's a different spin on that. It's it's the ability to do hard work, but you have to evolve as you're doing that work. Like you can dig a ditch for 20 years and never grow in capacity and knowledge as a human being. You got really good at digging ditches. Yep. Right. So if you, but if you don't evolve from that digging ditches, like you don't like figure out, hey, if I use a different type of shovel, you know, I can dig a deeper hole. Oh, hell, if I learn to go get a freaking, you know, machine backhoe, I can dig a really bigger hole. Hey, if I learn to lead people, I can have them yes. dig a damn hole. Right. Ding, ding, you know, ding. so yep. it's it's acquiring the skills and actually evolving while you do that hard work stuff. And if you're not evolving, like if, if every year is Groundhog's Day for you, you know, you're coming back, you're doing the same thing, bitching about the same bills, trying to figure everything out. It's because you're actually not gaining new skill sets. You're showing up doing the same thing, Einstein yes. theory of freaking insanity, doing the same shit over and over again and expecting different results. You have to actually go through things that force you to evolve. This is why I tell everybody we have a rule in our company, one of our champions codes, which is go break shit trying new things. Because if you're not trying new things, you're not learning new skill sets, you're not actually pushing the company forward. And when you get a bunch of people that aren't trying to push a company forward, it's going to get stagnant. Right. So you've got to constantly be checking out the new tech, the new software, the new freaking book skills, whatever to gain the knowledge. Yeah. We have a saying around here, pro progress over perfection. Right. And yeah. and uh, don't be a progressionist. Be or excuse me. Don't be a perfectionist. Be a progressionist. And that dovetails right into what you're saying. Like the whole idea is put something together. That's the best thing you can do right now. Get it out there. Figure out if it works. Awesome. If it doesn't work, why didn't it work? And then Come back in the lab, make an adjustment, and put it out there again. And then same thing, make an adjustment, put it out. And eventually, if you keep doing that to what you're saying, you get out there, and eventually, you, you're you way ahead of somebody who's sitting back and just trying to build the perfect thing and hit the home run or hit the grand slam the first time they swing the bat. Yep. The person has a better average when they're out there just cling, 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 base yep. it, base it. Then they turn into doubles and everything else. You have to... It's just a hard thing for people to understand because they, you know, we're in a we're in a, a world now where we've watched, you know, the Steve Jobs of the world come up. And, they, and there's this whole group of people that think that an entrepreneur is you have to create the iPhone. You have to think of something brand new that changes the world. And you have to introduce it and it has to go across the world or you have to create something and you go into Shark Tank and those four or five people, they vote and say, yes, I want to be a part of that. Right. <laughs> and that's the only way to be an entrepreneur. And that's not true. Oh, wait, Sometimes there's one more. There's one more. If you can just be an influencer, right? You can just flap oh, your gums, right? <laughs> even better. Right. That's an entrepreneur. Right. And you can get free hotel rooms or whatever. Be it be a pest. I mean, the truth is entrepreneurship can be found solving boring problems, right? Anytime you find, I mean, there's entrepreneurs that make tons of 
money like in waste management and garbage collection and recycling and lawn care and boring businesses that it's, oh, that's not that exciting. But there's money to be made if you're solving a problem. Oh, man, I was watching uh, uh, an episode of Dirty Jobs, and I love Mike Rowe. I just love his philosophy oh, yeah. in life. And he was interviewing a pig farmer in Vegas. Now, this pig farmer got all the freaking leftover food from the casinos. So you're talking about filet, I mean, like ridiculous food that from the, <laughs> you know, from the hotels, and that's what he fed the pig. And so Mike's out there with this guy, and they're standing in knee-high freaking slop. And he's like, I got to know, did you really think that you were going to run a pig farm for the rest of your life? And that was like your dream growing up. And the guy was like, no, he wanted to be like an astronaut or something. I don't remember what he said. And Mike's like, why? Why a pig farm? Why this? And the guy goes, it's simple. I make a million dollars I take home every year just for me. That's my income <laughs> from the pig farm. He goes, I don't care that I'm standing knee high shit. I live a really damn good life. And I went, yeah. that's it. It doesn't matter how you freaking get there. Right. And, and, you know, people are so hung up on, they got to make a million dollars. I got to make a million dollars. I got to make a million dollars. Dude, the top 1% of the entire world, if you take everybody in the top 1% of the world to be in the top 1% of the world, you got to make $444,000 a year, $444,000 a year or something close to that number. And so people are all hung up and they don't realize that making 150, make $200,000, that's a good living. Oh, sure. Right. Well, it goes down to how you spend it too, <laughs> yep. right? I mean, yep. the people that go make, you know, I had somebody tell me one time, well, the more you make, the more you spend. And like, no, that's not necessarily the case, right? I mean, it is to some degree, but you know, if you're always spending 15% more than you make, you're always going to be on a treadmill chasing the next dollar. And you're going to be, you know, with a lot of things around you, but you're still going to be broke and you're going to be controlled by money. And I, I don't know. I've always believed that it's it's hard to have a happy life if you constantly move the goal line on yourself because when you're making $50,000 a year, so you always back up when you're making $30,000, you just got out of college, you're making 30, man, if I could just make 55, if I can make 55, I'll get myself a nice Saturn car and I'll drive down to the, you know, the local wing shop. I'll be in good shape. And then you get a wife and you get some kids and you go, man, I could just make 70 grand. I'll be, and you find yourself 15 years later going, gosh, if I can just make 325 right. and you go, wait a minute, like you blew past all these moments where you could have stopped and said, I'm going to create a lifestyle around myself where I don't have the pressure breathing down my neck. I'm happy with what I got. And I don't know, I, I came up from the Dave Ramsey sort of school of thinking of finance. Like when you constantly put yourself in a position where you keep borrowing money to have the trappings of a lifestyle that's two steps further than where you actually are it's really hard to be truly happy because you're always on that treadmill. Yeah, for sure. You know, for, for me, it's really simple in regards to how to play this game and how to figure it out. I mean, the, for me, you know, I grew up blue collar as hell. Dad was a truck driver, you know, mom worked in factories. So, you know, in my world, you went, you got a job, you worked for other people and that's just how it was. And so when I launched my own company, I still took that mindset of almost a paycheck to paycheck type mentality into my business. And it really cost me early on. And what I found out is I had two choices. I could go get a bunch of therapy and figure out how to get past my own financial head trash. 
or I could figure out business well enough that I could beat my own head trash when it came to money. So one of the things I had to do is I had to automate beyond my own head trash. So our business model is completely surrounded and built on the idea that if we can just keep adding people to the front end, we'll make so much money that I can't spend it all. And that has helped me out tremendously grow because our monthly reoccurring revenue continues to be the thing that we focus on and growing more and more and more of. And as long as we continue to automate beyond our own head trash, now I look at money from a completely different perspective because now it's okay. I know what the bubble is. I know where we got to get to. I know what it takes to get there. And when we get to the different, you know, plateaus and levels we're trying to get to, cool. I know what we can do with the money at that point. Um, but the whole goal is to continue to make more money than I can actually spend yeah. while learning to continue to be a freaking business owner. So for most of you people out there, if you're not looking at your monthly reoccurring revenue, and how to add more of that to your business. And spending less than that number too, right? right? You know, right. keep crew, but that's how you move up. You don't always stay ahead of it, you stay behind of it. I do wanna I do wanna point out the word head trash is outstanding. I don't know oh, if that's you. a Donnyism. Like it's not, it's not. I worked for years for a company called Sandler Training, and Dave Sandler, who came up with that business model, I think he's the one that actually coined it, but it's just been the coolest word I've ever seen to to really wrap your head around what's going on between years. Let's get a quick chicken check before we, uh, that's a Jaredism. All right. That's <laughs> looking, that's looking pretty good. I don't know if you can see it on the side angle too. Yeah. They're starting to brown up a little what bit. What temperature there. are you cooking them at? So I'm going at, I'm at 350. It's actually 385. It's, it's a little hotter than I'd like it to be. Uh, but I'm pretty, pretty happy. With that, it's okay. I like to try, you know, the thing about this this show, I've never done brisket on the show, whatever, because it's hard to do things that take longer than an hour to cook. Do, do a, a Texas Crutch. What's that? I don't even, Texas Crutch, sounds like a finishing move in wrestling. Yeah, it is. It, it very much, it's a finishing move in brisket. <laughs> Um, uh, but with a brisket, you do whatever long cook you want to do. But at the end, the Texas Crutch is you get a uh, butcher's paper, the brown paper, and for your last hour, you wrap it up in the butcher's paper, and that holds all the moisture and everything in. So you, when you, you do an interview, you are actually have it it's already cooked for the most part. You're just finishing it in the, in the butcher's paper. Oh, and then what God. most people do that last hour in the butcher's paper, and then before they eat it, they'll actually throw it all in a cooler wrapped in a towel. Oh, I've seen that. For that yeah. last hour, but it's all in the butcher's paper is the magic of it. They call it the Texas Crutch because – that's what allows it to retain all the moisture and makes it for a really juicy cut. Um, that's why people hate competing against the Texas brisket guys because they all use the freaking, you know, Texas crutch. Okay. So next episode, we're going to start a band called Donnie and the Texas crutch. <laughs> and, uh, and then we're going to do some brisket, right? Cause yeah. that's, I, so I've seen people do that, but I didn't really, I don't think I really realized that that was speeding up the process. I just thought that was a way to make it really tender at the end. Both both okay you know um like you know i mean my ribs that i do i don't do like there's a three two one method on the ribs and i don't do a three two one i cook my ribs in about 90 minutes um but my favorite thing to do with ribs is i'm gonna get about halfway through and then i'm gonna wrap them because it gets them really juicy but i don't like a sloppy rib so i will you know get about 45 minutes in i take it back out of the foil usually foiled unless i have butcher's paper and i'm gonna finish it on the grill um, I don't like a fall off the bone. I want a bite to it. Yeah, it's got um, a little pull to it. Yep, yeah. Yep. 
Oh man, now I'm getting hungry. Let's see. Let, me go, <laughs> let me go buy some of this chicken and get some salmonella. Uh, so, you know, tell me about your business specifically. Your success coach, that can mean a lot of things. What do you do exactly when somebody contacts you and they say they need help with their business? Yeah, no longer a coach uh, because I just didn't like doing it that much. So, oh, um, okay. Um, we run a business mastermind where we teach business owners to how to scale their businesses. We have the Badass Business Summit, which happens here in Fort Worth, Texas, every September, three days, 17 speakers. Um, and wow. it's it's a conference that you don't sit down and take a shit ton of notes and then go home and try and remember what you, you did. It's a conference around, around the idea that you're going to work on your business there. So by the time you leave, shit's already working and firing in your business. Right? There's no pitching from stage, none of that BS. It's there to network and freaking let's grow your damn company. Um, but our, our biggest line of business right now um, is Success Champion Networking, where we run a mastermind peer group that happens to have a networking problem. So we bring together small service-based business owners to virtual meetings each week, and we focus on growing their businesses, help them get introductions and referrals. Um, and we're currently the fastest growing networking organization on the planet. Wow. Um, and having a lot of fun continuing to build that out. So service-based businesses and people that just need to connect with others. Yeah. So, so think about you're a business owner and you want to get around a bunch of other people that are going for it, right? They're really trying to build a big business. They're really trying to go, right? You want to find yourself in those rooms where the people in those rooms challenge and push you. So that's kind of the basis of where we came up with everything. And then from there, it's around this idea that if we can teach you more business and we can teach you to be better, and while we're at it, can we open some doors for you? Maybe you open some doors for us, you know, and we work on literally growing each other's business. Man, you bring 20 people together that are focused on, let me go out and grow my business, bring those contacts and connections back to here. Shit, man, uh, wow. business just blows up. And because more and more people keep finding out what we're doing and what we're creating, what we're building, um, we've had to add a lot of infrastructure, a lot of staff to keep up with our growth um, because as it's been said several times, we fixed what everybody hated about networking and uh, it's, it's, it's working <laughs> really well. And some days I feel like I'm riding a lot of a bolt of lightning and just holding the hell on. When you have these events, you, so you have one a year. Um, so the summit's one a year. Um, okay. And then the, the, the meeting group meetings, they're every week. So virtually every week. I see. Okay. And yeah. then in person, the summit is where in Fort Worth? Yes. Yeah, in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, we'll take over an entire hotel. Uh, and How many people come to that? We max out this. So this will be the last year we'll do it. So we'll be 150 at this event this year and wow. we're maxing out the hotel. Um, it's a TCU football weekend as well. So oh, wow. uh, we're paying extra for the rooms this damn weekend, but um, the, we're close to capacity already on ticket sales and we're months out. Jeez. Wow. How many years have you been doing this, the, the summit? So this will be the fourth year for us. I mean, four years in and you're already at capacity at 150 people. That's incredible. Yeah. Thanks, dude. It's been, you know, the funny thing is uh, I didn't even know we were going to do our conferences. Um, two things kind of played out. One, I was fighting to get on everybody else's stages and that sucks. That's a lot of work trying to get on somebody else's stages. So I was like, sure. fuck it. I want to build my own. But yep. I was doing a live one day 
and I don't know, it was 150 people watching live, and somebody goes, hey, I've got a speaking engagement for you down in San Antonio, Texas. I'm like, all right, cool, send me the information, I'd like to learn more. And other people on their live in the chat are going, well, hell, if you're going to go down to San Antonio, I'll just drive down and come see you speak, because I'd love to see you speak. When it started turning into like 20 or 30 people were like, going to go, hey, we're all going to just carpool down. Hey, if we're 20 of us are going to carpool down, then why don't you just get a room and you can just do an extra speech for just all of us? And I'm like, wait, hold on. San Antonio is four hours south of me. I'm not going to go try and put on something that's four hours south of me when I can do it in my own backyard. I'm like, so why, right. why don't we just do it in my own backyard? I got friends and connections. And they were like, oh, that's great. People can fly in from everywhere. And then somebody goes, well, call it Donnie Con. I'm like, no, we're <laughs> not calling this shit Donnie Con. Um, <laughs> and, but that's how the Badass Business Summit came about, um, was literally people on a live are like, let's just get together and kind of do our own success champions thing. I wouldn't call it DonnieCon. I'm like, all right, what do we call it? And they're like, well, let's call it the badass business summit because nobody else has got it. And you say it all the time. So let's do it. And who, who the hell wants to be anything other than a badass, right? right? Man. So that's incredible. And, and you said you did a live. What platform is that on? So TikTok or? Uh, StreamYard, and then we push it out to Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, in, not Instagram, uh, YouTube are the three big ones we go to. Wow. What is StreamYard? I don't think I've ever so heard So StreamYard's a multi-purpose freaking platform where you can sit down right here and it'll push to, I forget how many platforms. Um, we typically push to three, but I think it can push up to like eight or nine different platforms. What? So you're streaming All in a live. single stream? Yep. Nope. Wow. And what's cool is the chats will all sync up so that you can see the chats. Like somebody says something on Twitter or YouTube or whatever, it comes through one chat funnel on StreamYard so you can reply in real time. And, you know, it says like Mike from YouTube, ask the question. You're like, hey, Mike, I see your question. Uh, this is the answer to that. I mean, somebody on LinkedIn may ask a question and you can call them out and, and respond real time. It's pretty freaking cool. That is cool. I never heard of that before. Yeah. Okay. Well, you may see me on some live streams now and that's why. Come on. You've been very kind with your discussion about my chicken grilling here. So what, <laughs> what the hell am I doing wrong? Right. I mean, I need to get, you know, hit me. What should I be doing if I was a Texas barbecue expert? How, how, how did you brine the chicken first? No, I did not. Brine well, the there, there, well, then that's where we'll start. So chicken by itself is one of the driest meats on the planet. That's true. So you need a damn good brine. So I won't cook chicken unless it's brined for more than eight or nine hours. Whoa. That's a commitment. Well, I mean, not really. If you get up in the morning. I mean, yeah. You throw all the shit know, in a bowl. You put it in a grill refrigerator. as much as I do. Like, okay, you know, I, I like to just, you know. If, if you ever zoom out and look at the things that I cook on this show, most of them, the level of prep, because I just, I like to grill. I love, I just love to grill, man. So like occasionally I'll do something that takes like a shitload of prep. And, but a lot of times I just love to go, Hey man, let's just grill some sausage. Let's grill some, let's grill some steaks. Let's grill some, man, I grill some steaks this weekend. Well, but let's talk, a ste let's talk steaks, dude. Because, because if you're not fucking salt brining your steaks, dude, what? you're fucking missing. Oh, Wait, dude, hold, on, so hold, missing on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Salt is like in water. No, 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 no. You take a steak and you sprinkle the fuck out of it with salt both sides set it in the refrigerator for about eight hours when you come back that salt is going to be disappeared because it all just absorbed into the fucking steak dude that sounds like a stroke trying to have oh, that sounds like my blood pressure is high 
Dude, when you eat out at a restaurant, do you know how much fucking salt they use on all your shit? (laughs) Ignorance is bliss. No, I don't know that. But, dude, and then all you do is you pull that thing out, crack black pepper over the thing, fucking high sear, offset cook. You can't beat it. Have you ever done uh, a sous vide steak before? No, I, I just saw a video on it, and I'm like, ooh, that's interesting. I saw one with dude. So I got a, I got a, somebody got me a sous vide for for Christmas, and it was, I mean, they're not expensive. It's like 30, 40 bucks, fifty bucks, sixty. Bucks. I don't know how fancy you want to get, but it's like a little stick, and you put it in a pot of water, and you seal these bags yeah. with the like if you're doing steak, like you seal the bags, you put it in the water, and then if you want it, let's say you want it rare. Right. So I dial rares, whatever temperature rare is, 130 something, 120, whatever, whatever the hell it is. You dial that up in the sous vide and it takes the meat. If you leave it in there for a while, it will keep that meat at exactly that temperature all the way through. And then you pull that thing out. You get your grill hot as hell. Right. And you you season it, hit it on there, sear the outside. So now you've got like just over you right into medium rare territory. Dude, I'm telling you, you talk about perfectly cooked because it's sealed up. It doesn't let any right, of the moisture out. So it stays more. I mean, it sounds like, oh, you're boiling your steak, right? No, man. Well, there, there's two other methods I want to try that I haven't tried. One, I don't remember what it's called, but you actually take a full steak in a glass casserole like loaf pan or let me a little bigger. You completely cover it in olive oil. You add garlic and like rosemary and everything else, and you cook it in the oven to the desired temperature in the olive oil. When you say like cover, we're talking about yeah, like yeah, it's, yeah, no, it's no, no, like fucking submerged, submerged like, in there, like boiled you in know, olive oil. And then, but you, you know, you, olive oil is not hot, so everything comes up the temperature at the same time in the oven, mm. and then you pull it out, cast iron, reverse sear the damn thing. And when he cut into that steak, I was like, son of a bitch, I want to try that. The second one is I got a buddy that has turned me on to there is aging bags. So like, you know, you, when you do, uh, you hang meat and it freaking ages for a couple of days. So you can buy these bags for it. You do a dry aging in the refrigerator and you can put any red meat into these and it's going to dry it like it would be hanging in a freaking meat locker. And this dude, it did. When you watch him, put his stuff on Facebook or whatever, you're like, holy shit, that looks good as hell. But putting this bag, putting like a bag for like seven days in your refrigerator, I mean, who wants to stare at a steak that long without eating it? But (laughs) (laughs) uh, those are the two methods I want to try. I haven't tried yet. I've never done, I've never tried to dry age my own steaks. Oh, I've had them in restaurants and they're fucking insane. Oh, they're amazing, right? But I think the process of doing that and and then wasting all of that outer cut as you, you know, you sort of get to cut off all the nasty part on the outside because it's old right. beef. And so you're, but it, man, it makes a good, uh, it makes a good steak. My wife and I went to Charleston a couple of weeks back. First time we ever been to Charleston, South Carolina. Great. By the way, great city. If you've never been there or if anybody listening has never been there, holy crap, check that city out. Like just the history, it was, you, know, you just, it's just kind of city. You just want to put some you know, some boat shoes on and some white shorts. <laughs> Pour yourself a little drink, just walk around. Oh, this is a southern. You know, like you just walk around shopping everywhere, good places to eat. And there was a steak uh, that we had there. It was like this Kansas City, like bone in, dry aged. It was, I mean, literally top five steak I've oh, ever eaten in my life. Wow. Incredible. Love that. And I'm blanking on the name of, of the place. Of course you are. <laughs> right? Everybody's we like, where the fuck is I want to go? 
Yeah, we had a we had a couple. What was the name of that place? Well, uh, on the farm, uh, we just got into quail, so I'm now raising quail. Oh. Um, to so we will process our own quail and everything. But let me tell you, quail that you farm raise yourself and do on a grill yeah. wrapped in bacon. Freaking put a jalapeno, little cream cheese, wrap the quail around it, wrap that all in bacon. Whoa. Oh my God, is it freaking insane? Never cooked a quail. So how do you? Same do you process, do? just like chicken. So so you spatchcock it. If you don't know what spatchcocking okay. is, you're, you're cutting the, the, the spine out of the damn thing so you can lay it flat. Right. And yep, flatten, flatten it out. It out. Yep. Um, season it just like you would. It just cooks a lot faster than chicken. So same thing. I'll brine it for at least two or three hours. Um, and then once it comes out, it's freaking high, high heat cook, fast cook. Um, and the way I cook it is I'll take my Weber and I'll charcoal it. And I've got a little uh, cone device. You put the charcoal in the dead center of the grill yeah. with the cone, and then you can put the quail all around the outside so it's not actually sitting on the heat. Wow. Put the lid on. You turn the lid about every seven or so minutes because it changes the direction of the way the heat flows through the Weber. And, man, it you'll have some of the best bird you ever eat. Yeah, obviously quails are small, yep. right? And so if it's you, let's say if it's you and one other person eating, how many quails would you cook? So the other day it was me, my wife, and my mother-in-law, who I built a house on a farm for okay. her. Seven quail took care of us all. Seven. Okay. Because I ate three, they ate two each. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Man, that sounds good. You need to do you, uh, you brine it? Yep. You talked yep. about brining yep. earlier. Yep. So just a regular salt brine. Uh, I, with I do a soy sauce brine. So I've found that soy Ooh. sauce works better as a brine than salt. Um, you don't want to worry about getting the water super hot to melt the freaking salt away. So you just pour a shit ton, and we use tamari, which is a gluten free. My wife's gluten intolerant. A gluten free soy sauce. And, you know, depending on how big I'm going, I'll just use water and a shit ton of soy sauce and call it a day. Damn, that sounds amazing. And it's nice, dude, because you can set it up in the morning and then it's brining all damn day. So but if you want to you know, grill in the evening, you're still your typical 35, 45 minute cook on whatever you're cooking. Um, it just adds a hell of a lot more flavor. So is the Weber the only thing you ever cook on, or you got other setups? Oh shit, no! I got flat tops. I've got pellet grills. I got a smoker. Oh, I've got a freaking—I don't even know what's a big one, but my my big grill is nine burners on it. Um, and it's gas burners. Gas burners, yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. And and freaking. That's all I got on my farm. My brother's farm, which is down the road, we just built a big hog pit, um, and uh, we're putting in a big stone rotisserie next. A hog pit? Oh yeah. Oh, I'm checking the uh, I'm checking the, the chicken again. By the way, I while figured. we're doing this. By the way, this episode not brought to you by people. <laughs> um, people people eating tasty animals. If you're if yeah if you're a vegetarian, <laughs> this show is not for you. At this yeah. What are we reading? We're reading about one thirty. I ah, still climbing, probably in the one low low one forties. So we got a little bit more time. What are you gonna pull it at? Well, I don't know yet. Um, ooh, that one's actually reading in the early one fifties. What do you think? I mean, it still cooks a little bit. Yeah. Better. So I usually like to get it to about one sixty. Yeah, that's where I'd pull it. About right about one sixty. So yeah, and then let yep. it kind of sit for a you moment. Get it the rest away. Keep the flavors in there. You know, a lot of people that watch this show are people watch the show, listen to the show, wherever it is, however you consume it, are people that want to get into entrepreneurship or have started a project and it's, you know, they're trying to grow their business or do things. 
you know, it, you talk to a lot of different businesses. Is there a, is there a single kind of unifying theory or is there a, 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 a one thing that usually when you talk to a business that needs a kick, just a kick in the pants or needs to grow, this is the area where they suck at and they need to grow? Oh, yeah. It's sales every time. Okay. Yeah, I agree. Totally. Right. Um, most people, I mean, I came from a sales background and I thought that was going to give me a leg up in running a business. It didn't, uh, because there's still so many other things to learn, but most people come out of corporate America and then launch a company. They've never sold a damn thing in their entire freaking life. Right. And now they're, <laughs> That's right. they're yeah. they, they don't realize that while working for that company, there's people inside that company that are out bringing on the new clients, which gives them their damn job. And now they've got to be the person that drums up the business and goes, finds these clients and they've never dealt with rejection on that scale. So they, you know, put a post out on Facebook or LinkedIn say, Hey, I started my company and kind of expect the whole world to go, Oh my God, where have you been my entire life? Yeah. Take right, my money. Right. And it just doesn't happen that way. So if I would tell anybody before you jump in and start your own business, you should go work for somebody else in a straight sales capacity yep. and get your freaking teeth kicked in. Because, you know, I just learned somewhere along the way when it comes to sales, you know, you're going to be rejected in life yep. no matter what. You could be the fucking Mother Teresa and somebody's going to reject you. You can be Buddha and somebody's going to reject you. You can be Jesus Christ and somebody's going to freaking reject you, right? It doesn't fucking matter. You're going to get rejected by somebody. And when it comes to sales, I was like, fuck it. If I'm going to get rejected in public anyways, I'm going to at least choose the way I get rejected. And I just happen to choose to do it through sales. So, you know, motherfuckers are going to yeah. tell me, no, people are going to say you're an idiot. You you know, people are going to hate on you, whatever else. Cool. I know it's coming. I can expect that rejection versus getting blindsided by people that don't like the fact that I'm a country dude. Right. So, uh, right. If you will just wrap your head around the mentality that what you do, people will likely love you get extremely passionate about what you sell and really get into it. And then every day set a number of the number of activities you're going to do from a business per development perspective and do those same level every day without stopping. Because what happens is, you know, people, they might win a client and they stop selling. They're like, Oh, cool. I got a client. Let's do it. And then they service <laughs> a client. Yeah. They get it. Exactly. They get in service yep. mode. Right. And, then they don't sell anymore. And then they're like, where the fuck's all the business? All right. Exactly. Why isn't my business growing 20% year over year? Well, you had, you, you landed three clients and you got hyper-focused on those guys. And also, you know, if you're a tech business or whatever it is, or, or, or whatever business you are, you started tailoring your business to what those three people wanted without ever asking the question, is this what everybody wants? Or is it just those guys that yep. want that? And if it's something that just they want, they need to pay you to build something super specific to them, you know, only, you should only be doing it for free if you think you could sell it to everybody else, or there's like a giant, you know, financial windfall behind it that really changes your business. I, you know, we, we used to have this little saying in our business. My brother, Steve is, uh, is an operations guy and we brought him in to be the operations head at Procter U, my business that I was with for 15 years. And, you know, the Thanksgiving table, there'd always be like, I'm over here doing all this shit. And you guys remember, you know, and we would, you know, I used to, the, the argument ender that I would always say was, listen, nothing happens until somebody sells something. Yeah. It was like, buddy, it's really simple. Go sell. Exactly. 
get out there and you do the, the exactly like nothing we could we could be the greatest whatever it is in the world but until somebody says i'll take one right nothing That's happens the, the machine doesn't start moving and so the best entrepreneurs the best startup guys are always people that either you got two choices you either get good at sales right that's the one i would recommend i think you'd recommend yep. that too get yep. good at sales or you better have a co-founder who's really good at sales <laughs> yes. right like there's, that's it that's the those are your only two options because you know maybe there's like a tenth of a percent of a chance that you're building a business that like has a connection to somebody who's going to buy it but at the end of the day businesses go out of business because they lack revenue yep. that's why they go out of business no one goes out of business because they have too much revenue right uh, maybe there's a couple notable examples, but but they run out of revenue, right? I was the only one I was thinking of. I, did you ever, did you ever, did you ever buy that thing, the coolest cooler? You know what I'm talking about, the coolest cooler? No. On oh my god! So Google this thing. It's the greatest Kickstarter of all time. All right. Uh, or may I say the greatest, the coolest cooler? This guy, I forget his name. This guy built the greatest cooler of all time, and it. In this cooler, it had it was battery operated. It had a blender oh, where you could make you could make smoothie or like margaritas like out in the woods, right? It had a cutting board and a knife packed in there and plates and it had lights and it had a speaker and it could charge your phone and it was it was the most incredible cooler you had ever seen. And he makes this uh, Kickstarter and he was trying to raise a hundred grand to get this thing going. And I guess he didn't put a cap on it. So it was like, you know, pay me 180 bucks and you get one of these coolers and da, da, da. Well, he made an incredible video and the video, the whole thing, uh, it blew up so big. I think he raised like $12 million oh, or Jesus. something like, <laughs> and, and here's, here's what you can talk about. Like, so the whole reason I'm saying this is a guy who had too much revenue, went out of business. The mistake he made was if he was whatever price it was he was selling him at 149 or whatever it actually it actually cost him another like $100 a cooler to make them oh, shit. and so he was just <laughs> effed right like he had this 12 million dollar death march like because every cooler and so it is, I think there's a documentary on oh, it or something but that's out. like the only example I could ever think of I actually have one by the way cuz he sent an email out and he was like listen if you're willing to spend the extra 100 bucks I'll send you your cooler and I'm, I'm right. pot committed at this point. So I gave him the hundred bucks. The cooler was incredible. I still that's have awesome. it. It was incredible. Right. But that's the only notable example I can think of, of somebody who had too much revenue and went out of business because of that. I, I've seen people that because they could not get capital to cover what they sold, went out of business. So, because sometimes capital is a bitch when, I mean, money's usually easy to get, but when you don't have, like you're a new business and all of a sudden you've expanded and you've got to increase inventory and you can't keep up with the orders you're selling because you don't have the capital yet to buy the things. I've seen companies go out for yeah. that, but I would agree with you. Uh, money fixes a lot of damn issues uh, when, when you're building. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and, and even in those situations you're bringing up, it almost is like, a lot of times you can find a way to get people to prepay for things or to just try to like, if people are willing to spend money as long as you're, as long as the economics, your unit economics work, right? I mean, I'm, I'm buying it for X and I'm selling it for Y and Y is acceptably larger than X, right? Then it should all work in theory, right? Um, there's ways to wiggle around that. But if your business goes out of business, 
like nine out of 10 times, it's because you didn't, you just didn't sell enough. Yeah. You know, you didn't generate enough revenue. That's why rev, that's why restaurants go out of business. That's why your local insurance guy goes out of business, you know, tech business, everything. I, I think it's a, a lot of your business owners think that they're going to get to this place where they can just plateau, right? They're, they're, they're in their head. They're like, if I could just, you know, close two more deals, then I could stop selling. Right. And it's that type of mentality that's kicking their ass yeah. because especially if you're the founder, you're the original person that came up and started this business. Nobody's going to ever outsell your ass. This is your baby. Right. That's true. So, that's so the truth. you're going to have to get out there and go sell. And I know there's people listening to this or watching this and they're like, but yeah, but I'm just not a sales guy. Get over it. You spent your entire, yeah. Well, oh, you I mean, better go find one. But everybody spent their entire life selling shit. They just didn't call it sales. I mean, they've convinced their buddies to go watch movies or eat at a particular restaurant. That's all sales. The difference being is now there's an emotional attachment because they're asking for somebody else's money and they don't like it when people ask them for money. So they put their own head trash in somebody else's pocket and they think they're a grease ball if they ask somebody to do business with them. And the truth <laughs> of the matter is, is people wouldn't be talking to you if they weren't interested in doing business with them. So you're not selling them shit. You're just helping them make a damn decision on whether or not they should go with you or somebody else. Yeah. I mean, the best salespeople, too, are problem solvers. Like, I, right. you know, I, I spent a long time sort of honing my sales skills. And I, I learned over time that if, if you were willing to go talk to somebody and start like the worst sales guys are the ones that open up the trench coat and they're yeah. like, Hey man, I got it in red and blue and green. And which one do you want? Well, this one's great. It's a great product. And blah, blah, blah. The, those are the shitty yep. ones, right? The, the ones that are great are the ones that, um, sit down with somebody and they say, Hey, tell me about your, tell me about your business. Tell me about your, whatever it is that you're selling to. If you're selling the business, you're selling, Hey man, uh, you know, so we've got this, if you want to see about our garage floor company, and our paint company is called Tough Dog, T-U-F-F-D-O-G, Tough Dog Garage Floors and Tough Dog Paints, Tough Dog Coatings. And we'll go in and we'll ask somebody, hey, man, tell me about your garage. What do you mean? What? What are you doing there? Uh, park cars. Do you ever store stuff in there? Do you? How long are you going to live in your house? And they just start talking, right? And next thing you know, you understand what it is that they want. And we're not always a fit. Right. For everybody, because Tough Dog actually sells high end. Right now, we're getting ready to get into the outside coatings, but the garage floor stuff is a high end coating. It's not cheap stuff. It's not the stuff you buy at Home Depot. So it's for people that are spending time in their garage. They're doing their car, you know, doing car work, and it needs to stand up to oil. They're going to be in there, you know. It's got a fifteen year warranty, and so I got to find the people that say like, "Yeah, this really matters to me," right? And it's better for me to do that work than to just fire my sales pitch at somebody and they go, eh, no. And we move on. It's, it's so much, I don't know. We do so much better when we get to know the customer and understand what success looks like to them. And then you figure out if the thing that I'm trying to sell actually can bring them the success they're looking for. And if it does, then it's your job to explain it. If it doesn't, you got to back away because you lose credibility there. And then you become the, the sleazeball. Dude, I got to introduce you to my buddy, Tony Watley. So Tony's an entrepreneur's entrepreneur. He's a dude's dude. Uh, and he, he goes to war against the way the government does business. I mean, and, and, and really fucks up as small business owners from time to time. And I love his stance on a lot of things. Um, and I interviewed him on, a, on my podcast uh, a, a couple of times now, but he's a car guy. 
and like he built a oh. multi-million dollar freaking car company i forget what all it did but now i mean if you go look at his social media post you know it's nothing but cars i mean and so his followers are all you should bring him on your podcast and hell he's yeah let's hell bring up. him on there man he's he's a good dude um and he's got such a cool philosophy on life. He'll, he'll remind you of kind of uh, Andy Frazella, Alex Hermosi mix, just a lot more toned down. Um, but that kind of philosophy is a good guy. But but just that maneuver of me saying, hey, I'm going to get you and Tony together, that's what makes business really go around, is when you have the ability and capacity to connect, get to know somebody, understand their world, and go, you know what? I got somebody you need to meet. Let me get you to that person. If the world would operate off of this idea that referrals don't mean shit, let's get you introduction to people yep. that can open up a huge world for you. Like, Tony may never buy your flooring shit. But his yep. followers just might, you know, yeah. and it's one of those things. If you can get his brand and your brand aligned, good shit's liable to come from that synergistic relationship. And people are so selfish in nature. They're always looking at the world of, well, I can't sell, so I need you to bring me business. So who do you know that I need to talk to? And it's, it's the complete opposite of what they should be doing. They should be out selling, growing their Rolodex, 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 Roll <laughs> get the Rolodex. Oh, shoot. <laughs> if that's not a blooper reel, I'm going to be pissed. Um, but, <laughs> but getting their, their, you know, their contacts filled up. And so they become an influential person. I'm not saying an influencer, but an influential person because they have the leverage of having a massive network that they can introduce and put the right people together. Yeah, I mean, if you think about like what that does, right? What that or what that does for the person that you just made a connection for. So, me, right? You just said, "Oh, let me introduce you to." This. What What does that make me see you as subconsciously? As a, it's a problem solver, yep. right? I mean, you just said, "Oh, dude, you need to get." And so, I I now am think subconsciously thinking about Donnie as, man, Donnie's got answers, right? Donnie's like, "Oh, you should be here." So then, if there's a uh, something down the road where I'm interacting and you are an hour in a sales pitch and you're, you're selling me on something. I've already figured you out as a guy who's trying to help me. Yep. And the moment somebody perceives you as trying to help rather than trying to just ching, make the next sale. And I know that's so hard for people. Well, it's sales. I should be trying to get the next sale. Yeah. But if you're trying to be like the good ones, the ones that make a lot of money and also have a lot of self-respect and a lot of people's respect, um, you're not just trying to get the next sale. You actually become a problem solver and a person that's trying to help that person get better in their business or in their life. And when you get perceived as that, then you're not even really doing sales anymore, right? You're yeah, just helping sure. them. And it just happens to be something that benefits, you know, what your mission is. Yeah, dude, I agree with that. It's the, I think the greatest salespeople have two amazing talents that they've learned. One, they have the ability to ask the right questions. And I think yep. asking the right questions is the biggest goal and gift you can have on a sales call. Two, they're willing to walk away from a deal that's not a good fit for both people. Mm. And the ability to be able to look at somebody and said, you know, I know you really want what we sell, but it's really not what you need. Let me get you to where you need to go. The whole Miracle on 34th Macy's thing, you know, Santa Claus sending them off to the different stores and shit. That's what the top salespeople actually do is they're not forcing a sale. That idea of always be closing shit is so old school and out of play anymore. Yeah. This is sitting across from people having real conversations and going, you know what? You really should do this. This is a good fit. Or you know what? Man, I'm hearing everything you're saying. And truthfully, 
you should not buy our stuff, but let me get you to the person you need to get to. Those people win so much more than anybody else in the game. Getting back to like ground level sales pitches, and then you talk about going back to zero. Like I've had the fun of getting back in the in the, the swing of things with some startups. And when I talk to people about the garage floors, you know, I'll say, you know, they'll say, "Well, I don't, you know, I'm not really looking to spend that much money," and I'm not, and you know, rather than like try to like convince them to spend more money than they want to when they re- clearly don't need it. Um, or they're going to walk over to a competitor and buy a cheaper product, whatever. We just go, you know what? You probably need to do, because this is the truth. You need to go down to Home Depot and you need to get some epoxy and go hire you, you know, your local painter and they'll, you pay them a couple hundred bucks or whatever, and they'll do it. And it'll look like crap in a couple of years, but you just told me you're going to move out in two years. Right. And so that's what you need to do. And people get, it's weird when you tell people, Hey, maybe my product's not for you. Right. People go. What do you mean? Like, I, but, but yeah, it is. Well, if they really want it, they're going to be like, they're going to fight for it if they really want it. All right. Let me check on the chicken here. This is, uh, okay. You seeing that, Donnie? I, well, I see chicken. I, I mean, well, I see the, the, the bottom of the damn chicken staring at First me. First of man. all, okay. That's, you know, you don't have to. Be. Hey, dude, I, I remember, you know, cafeteria food. So, <laughs> oh, my God. Here we go. <laughs> I even have my damn. Tongs here. All right. Well, man, Guy Frieri, you are not my friend. Yeah, I got better hair. Look at that. You see that? Look at <laughs> that's tripping. good. That's Come a nice, on. good char. I like it. I let's, like it. Let's like get it. Uh, let's get a little temperature check here. All right. Oh, we're ready, baby. Those bad boys are ready. I like so, that cooker, though, dude. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to go look for one of those. It's the Pellet Grill. Listen, I won't mention the name of the brand because they have refused. or I say they refuse. They have yet to come on the podcast, though I've asked their founder multiple times to come on the show. And so if the, the founder of this grill brand, which I won't name, is listening to this, which he's definitely not, uh, you know, come on, come on down. And we'll we'll start mentioning your grill brand by name <laughs> on here. But it is a pellet grill. It is one of my favorite brands. Let's uh by the way, let's talk, let's let's call out the fish mittens right there. You like really? that? That's Come what on, you're man. wearing. I mean, I, I, I guess they all, work. First of all, they definitely work. Second of all, my children bought them for me. So well, I, I mean, accept pro- your apology. Pro- pro- props to your kids, but I accept your apology. Yeah, there wasn't one. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. Let's shut this bad boy. Man, that looks uh, that looks pretty good. So the hanging uh, chicken thing is great. I'm not a hundred percent sure that it's better than just laying them on the grill. Well, but... I mean, they're not they're not burnt. Joe, so it's into Joe. Just bring them around in front of your camera so we yeah. can see them because we're struggling to see them. Oh yeah, you got it. Um, you we know, should the... just leave that. Let's can we leave that in the edit? By the way, whoever's editing this episode. Alex, our British producer here. Who says cheers uh, a lot. Who says cheers a lot and also thinks Alabama white sauce is spicy. Spicy. (laughs) It's spicy. I sent him some some stuff and look at that. We're going to bring that around. Dude, look how juicy that is. It's everywhere. All right. Tell me you got some foil close by. Uh, I have some foil in the house. I do not. Dude, well, I tell you is why the chicken's rested. If you would put a foil tent over that damn thing, it's going to retain the moisture in there. I'm pitching a tent right now. That's for sure. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. Uh, 
My dog is hovering under my feet now. You never asked me what I was drinking, by the way. Oh, I'm very I'm offended. Sure. Well, I mean. Look at this. Empty, we got all the way to the empty glass, and you never even asked. Well, I'm sure it's like some cheap Jack Daniels gym. It's like you don't shit. even know me. It's like you don't even care. <laughs> all right, No, sweetheart. this is, it's not cheap Daniel, cheap, cheap Jack Daniels. What were you drinking, honey? I was drinking, <laughs> I was drinking Eagle Rare. Ooh, okay. little Eagle Rare. I can get behind that. Little Eagle Rare, you know, so I've been a little Eagle Rare kick lately. It's like, it's not the greatest stuff in the world. No, but it's, it's a twenty dollar bottle that sounds cool what? when you order at a restaurant. <laughs> ooh, and, but it's it's just ooh, it's in that upper. Uh, I want to get you hate mail. I want to get you hate mail. You know what the worst bourbon on the planet is? Oh, here we go. What's Blanton's. the breaking news? Blanton's is the worst bourbon on the fucking. That is I a twenty. That's, okay. that's a twenty dollar bottle of hooch. That got a cool topper on it that people drink because they think it's cool. It's got the freaking horse rate. That shit is nasty. <laughs> I told you, I'm getting okay, hate mail wait, for this one. <laughs> wait a minute. So Blanton's, Blanton's is great. No, um, no. It's not. I mean, I could see if you, I don't know if it's worth the hype. It's also like Pappy Van Winkle. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It was not worth the hype. I, Pappy Van Winkle is great bourbon. Just you, but it's good. I could, Eh, whatever, but it's not, it's not the, the price that you pay for Pappy Van Winkle and the price that you oftentimes find yourself paying for Blanton's is kind of like, okay, okay. Like it's not that good, right? It's good. I like Pappy or I mean, I like Pappy better than Blanton, but (laughs) he's he's allergic to bad bourbon. He's allergic to bad bourbon. Dude, I'm telling you, I I just got freaking hexed or something by bad mouth and Bur- uh, Blanton's, but like, seriously, Blanton said hit right? the button. But but I like Pappy Van Winkle a lot better than Blanton's, but they're both a twenty dollar bottle of hooch. Um, yeah, but Pappy Van Winkle, I saw. So there's a there's a charity event here in Birmingham where I am called Bourbonham. Uh, great, it benefits the Multiple Sclerosis Society. All right, you're gonna you're you're gonna have to interview my brothers. My brother owns bourbon nation on facebook there's over a hundred thousand freaking people in that thing and he's one of the founders of it sign him up where you at alex tell your people let's go so keith bovine uh yeah you guys will geek out but continue on about the nonprofit. my point of that is so we're at the yeah so as soon as i said multiple sclerosis he was like let me stop you and tell you about the for-profit thing my brother's doing so the the guy so the there's a they're doing a they raffled off a bottle of pappy and this is the story that was told to me. I didn't witness this, but you know, the guy wins the pappy. He immediately says, I'll donate it, raffle it off again. And all the money goes to the cause. What a great philanthropist, right? Beautiful thing. So drunk guy starts bidding his wife's over there. She's very upset. Cause he's, I mean, it's getting up there. And I, I, th- I don't remember cause it's clearly it was a bourbon festival, but I believe it got to nine grand. Right. For this bottle. Okay. And so he wins this bottle of Pappy and the guy is, he's having a good time. Like he's, he's had, he's had a lot. And on his way out, he's got his celebratory Pappy nine drops it and breaks it. So, (laughs) so, so, sir, we appreciate your $9,000 donation to the cause. Um, Yeah. You know, know, no no Pappy for you, baby. So, uh, I'd have cried. So then, yeah. I, I, I'd have right then there just said, 
sorry, I'm crying. I'm a grown ass man. Crying. Imagine that conversation with the wife too, because she's already mad that he lost <laughs> his marbles and bid nine grand for this bottle of, as you you called it, twenty dollar hooch. I think it's better than that. I think it's, I think it's a good. Oh, a like thirty dollar bottle of, hooch. <laughs> I've had plenty of like I would put it a lot. There's there's a there's a whole line of like hundred dollar bottles of bourbon that I think are interchangeable with Pappy Van Winkle, right? Um, and the, and that guy broke it. So imagine his wife's already mad, and then he breaks it. I'm like, oh man, dude. My 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 one funny story about having you know a raffle is I was uh, sat on the board for the Greater Fort Worth Builders Association, and they asked all the board members like, you got to bring a bottle of hooch. It's got to be over fifty dollars. We're gonna throw it in a Yeti cooler, the big hundred and twenty quart Yeti cooler, and we're gonna auction the thing off. Hundred dollar raffle tickets. So I'm like, all right, cool. I'm donating to the board, whatever they else. So I drop a thousand dollars getting ten tickets for this damn raffle. You know, realize I'm giving back. As they pull the ticket, the the executive director over the entire, you know, foundation goes, Well, we know he's been eyeing it all day long, and they pull my freaking number. Dude, it was something like four grand worth of freaking liquor in this hundred and twenty quart cooler. And they looked at me and they're like, hey, you're going to turn around and auction those bottles off? I'm like, fuck no, I'm taking all that shit home. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, right. I sure as shit. I took that whole damn thing home and <laughs> dude, we had liquor for days. That's a little crappy, though. Like, here you are, you win this raffle and they're trying to shame you into the. I mean, in truth, it was all for a nonprofit. You know, basically this associated do this thing. I could have raffled it back. But in the back of my head, I'd already given them so much money over the years. I'm like, I'm taking this win. <laughs> Yeah, taking that W. Donnie, I could sit here and talk to you for for hours, man. This has been a great uh, a great uh, moment for me to drink bourbon that you never asked about. Uh, you know, grill some chicken to an acceptable uh, temperature without brining them, as you pointed out uh, very meanly. And uh, Jared, I didn't know you were so sensitive, my friend. I, yeah, I'm, I see. I've already I've already texted my therapist <laughs> before we got off this episode about how Donnie's. This is podcast bullying, man. Uh, no, seriously, this is a great, great time talking to you. I'd love to have yeah, you dude. back on. Um, if people wanted to connect with you with all the different things you're doing, how would they find you? Yeah, the easiest way to, to find all of our stuff, if you'll text the word success to 817-318-6030, uh, it'll ask for your email address. We're going to send you a, a video on how to get a ridiculous amount of referrals coming into your business. Mm. It'll also give you access to our podcast, all my social, everything. So just text the word success to 817-318-6030. We'll get you there and get you hooked up with all our stuff. That's awesome. If you'll also text the word asshole to that same number, uh, he'll know he'll know you saw he'll, he'll know you saw this show. So Donnie, thank you so much for being here, man. Uh, hey, let me do one thing for you really quick, Jared, yeah, just because I love doing this. Guys, if you've made it this far of the show, you've hung out with us the entire time, do Jared a favor and share this slow smoke podcast with one other person. I'm telling you, having my own shows, the toughest thing in the world is growing your audience. So if you got any value out of this one or one of his other episodes, share this shit out with another person, man. It's like getting this sensitive guy a really big hug. So it means everything to him. <laughs> I take everything back, I said. Now, now I feel like a warm hug has just happened. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Please go share this with somebody else. Uh, follow us on social media. We're over 20, mi 20 million. I wish 20,000 <laughs> strong on TikTok. We've got uh, a YouTube channel. You should go check us out. You know how to find us on there. Slow Smoke Business. Thank you, guys. We'll see you next time.